Hello, this is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Clyburn Chronicles. I have always been a lover of history. I see this platform as a way to connect history with the politics of today. This is so important because as Judge Santiano once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Each episode, my guest and I will have a conversation about the lessons of the past, the politics of the present, and how we must learn from those experiences to help shape the future. Thank you for taking time to listen, and welcome to Clyburn Chronicles. And welcome to another edition of Clyburn's Chronicles. Today, I'm joined by Environmental Protection Agency Administrator, Michael Regan. The need to center environmental justice in the work of the federal government has never been more urgent. We're gonna hear today from Administrator Regan on how investments made in the infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act can aid the state of public health and safety. And before we get too far into our discussion, let me tell you a little bit about Administrator Regan. On March 11, 2021, Michael Regan was sworn in as the 16th Administrator of the United States Environmental Protection Agency. He's the first African-American man and the second person of color to serve in the position. The Goldsboro, North Carolina native previously served as the secretary of the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. As secretary of the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality, he established North Carolina's first of its kind Environmental Justice and Equity Advisory Board to better align social inequities, environmental protection, and community empowerment. Previously, Administrator Reagan served as Associate Vice President of the United States Climate and Energy and as Southeast Regional Director of the Environmental Defense Fund. I want to thank him for being here with us today. I have gotten to know him over the last uh, several months. Uh, and he came to this job, not just well qualified, but very well vouched for. In fact, my longtime friend, uh, G.K. Butterfield, uh, told me back when names were being suggested uh, that we could not get a better person than Michael Regan for this position. And as usual, GK's assessment seemed to be borne out uh, very, very well. So welcome, Administrator Regan, to Clyburn Chronicles. Well, thank you, Whip Clyburn, for having me. And I have to thank you for your leadership and your early support for me uh, getting this position. Uh, I'm grateful to you for that. Well, thank you very much, and thank you so much for being here today. 
Now, as I suggested in our introductory remarks, I would like for you to talk a little bit about the nexus between the environment and health and why this issue is important to historically underserved communities. Well, well thank you, Whip, for that question. And there is no doubt that there's a serious nexus between the environment and health. And especially as we think about our communities, black and brown communities, tribal communities, low income communities, we know that the data shows uh, that when you live in an area that's polluted, you're more likely to have lost work days. Children are more likely to have uh, school days missed. Uh, we see a disproportionate impact, uh, especially to our low income and black and brown communities from pollution all over this country, air pollution and water pollution. And we know that that impact, again, reduces our ability to be productive citizens and compete with our non-minority counterparts. And so it's very important, not only that we clean up the pollution in our communities for the sake of having a livable and healthy environment, but it also has a great bearing on how well we do in school and how well we do in longer aspirations in life. And so I've focused on ensuring that we have equal protection under the law in all of our communities. And I've also focused that the cleanup and the healthy aspects of our communities ties directly to the economics in our communities, the jobs in our communities. All of these things go hand in hand, pollution, health, the economy, and the success of our communities. Well, thank you very much for that. I, uh, I want to point out something that I think is very, very important at this point. Uh, it was 40 years ago this year uh, that uh, the so-called environmental justice movement uh, really got started in earnest. And um, a few months ago, uh, the EPA made a very historic announcement along these lines on advancing environmental justice and civil rights. As you know, when I became chair of the Congressional Black Caucus 24 years ago, uh, I announced at that time that I was going to make environmental justice one of my key uh, uh, involvements. Now, at the time, I got a little flack because uh, 30 years ago, there was this big cry about environmental racism. Mm -hmm. And I objected to using that term and opted for environmental justice. Uh, and for some strange reason, uh, there were those who felt uh, that the stronger the language uh, the more apt you, you are to get uh, attention. I don't subscribe to that. And I want to just congratulate you on this environmental justice initiative. And I think you got a name for it. And I'm gonna let you pronounce the name and explain it for us. Well, absolutely, uh, Whip Clyburn. And first of all, let me say thank you for using your platform uh, in Congress and the bullhorn for decades to call attention to environmental injustices and a lack of equity and this indifference in our communities in terms of investment. Uh, you know, the environmental justice movement is credited from starting in my hometown of North Carolina, Warren County, 
And so I thought it was very appropriate uh, that first and foremost, uh, that we not forget our history. History is so important uh, as you know, and as you speak about all the time. Uh, President Biden said from day one that environmental justice would be a central pillar of this administration. Uh, and I'm so glad that he said that because I've always had a passion for integrating environmental justice and equity in everything I've done in public life. Uh, a few months ago, as you alluded to, uh, we created a new national program at EPA uh, called the Environmental Justice and External Civil Rights Program. Uh, this is historic because we've never had an office equal to our air office, our water office, and our land office. And now we have an office equal to that that houses about 200 people, 100 people here in headquarters, and 100 people all across the country whose sole job it is to focus on environmental justice and external civil rights. Uh, this is historic for EPA to expand in this way. And, and thanks to your leadership and the president's leadership with Clyburn, uh, this office will now be in charge at EPA of ensuring that the historic resources from the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act actually get to the people and the communities that need these resources the most. So I'm very proud of our new environmental justice and external civil rights office. And a lot of that is just some of us standing on the shoulders of folks like yourself and others who've been talking about this for a long period of time. That's absolutely correct. And thank you so much for that. And you, you are on point there. Uh, President Biden uh, has just done uh, incredible work uh in all of these areas uh that tend uh, to be prevalent uh, in underserved communities uh in uh, the kind of things that uh, uh there are buildings that you can see uh and therefore people uh, don't think you're doing anything because they can't see it <laughs> well let's take a look at you mentioned the inflation reduction act now, this bill uh, focuses in one area on climate change and the climate crisis that exists in this country. And it provides a lot of money through the EPA uh, to reduce methane emissions. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk about that a little bit because that's not anything that you can see, but you can feel it. And you feel this aftermath. And it's one of those areas that I like to talk to people about because they always say, well, you're not doing anything because I can't see it. <laughs> well, let's talk about methane reduction. Well, I'm, I'm glad you raised methane because a lot of times we, from a climate change standpoint, talk about carbon dioxide or CO2. But methane emissions from a climate standpoint are multiple times more potent than CO2. Methane is one of the most dangerous pollutants as we think about climate change. And we know that disadvantaged communities and communities of color and low-income communities are on the front lines of the impacts of climate change. But let me also speak to this. Most of these natural gas and these oil refineries are located in our communities. And in addition to methane, they push out volatile organic chemicals. These are toxics that plague our communities. So our communities, are at a disadvantage from a health standpoint because of the VOCs 
and also on the receiving end or the brunt of the climate impacts, uh, whether it be storms or droughts or floods. And so thankfully, in the Inflation Reduction Act, we're talking about billions of dollars, billions with a B, that will go towards incentivizing cleaner technologies in the oil and gas industry. That's gonna significantly reduce methane emissions, it's gonna significantly reduce those volatile organic chemicals, and it's gonna benefit our communities to a, a great extent. I'm so happy that uh, the president and you led efforts to have those resources in there to invest in these industries. Uh, quite frankly, in all of our communities, but especially as you look at places like Louisiana that they call Cancer Alley and look at those methane emissions and those VOCs and how they're plaguing those communities, the Inflation Reduction Act is gonna once and for all begin to really help rid those communities from that level of pollution. Well, thank you very much that you mentioned at the beginning of the program that the whole environmental justice movement was as we know it today, really uh, started uh, the, the attention uh, to it was there in North Carolina. I remember the story very well. Although I must admit, uh, when it was happening, I was not as aware of it. I did not get led to this until the second state that you mentioned, Louisiana. Uh, yes. It was when I saw uh, what was going on in those communities where these refineries were, uh, that um, uh, the illnesses, as you said, cancer ally. Uh, that's what drew me to this. And that's what made me make this an issue when I became chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, as I said, uh, over 25 years ago. Now, uh, that, to me, uh, is something that we need to bring attention to with our school children. And I want to thank you uh, because um, when was it? Uh, a bit in October, I almost said last month, but in October, I think it was, um, we uh, had your office, your regional office, your regional director, uh, joined us in Orangeburg, South Carolina, uh, where we uh, kicked off here with a $58 million uh, was coming out of the infrastructure bill. This is not the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the infrastructure was another uh, big investment by Joe Biden uh, in this area. And we kicked off this clean school bus program. Yes. Another thing that you don't see, but what's coming as a result of the emissions from these school buses, children in rural communities like I serve here in South Carolina, uh, staying on a bus uh, one uh, to two hours, school bus that is, going to school and coming back and inhaling yes. uh, the fumes coming from uh, these buses. Another thing you don't see, uh, but asthmatic attacks and everything else flow from this. Tell us a little bit about the uh, Tremendous investment you all are making in the clean school bus program. Well, uh, number one, this is an area that is near and dear to my heart. And I want to personally thank you for your leadership on this issue. Five billion dollars, billion would it be, five billion dollars focused on retrofitting our yellow school buses 
that carry our most precious cargo to and from school every day. You're exactly right. And in year one, we pushed out uh, you know, close to a billion dollars in grants. I think in South Carolina alone, uh, 16 school districts in South Carolina, over 148 uh, potentially electric school buses will now be replaced with those dirty school buses. That means, to your point, children that have respiratory illnesses or asthma won't have to sit on those buses and breathe those fumes. But guess what? Neither will the school bus drivers and neither will those teachers on bus duty. Uh, this is significant, and this is only year one. We've got five years of handing out these grants. That means multiple more districts uh, in South Carolina could be recipients of more clean school buses. And, and by the way, I'm really proud. 90% of the resources in the school bus program in the first year were either rural, low income, or tribal communities. Uh, we're making sure that those who have been disproportionately impacted for generations are first in line to receive some of these resources. And, and Whip Clobber, and it was because of the wisdom of you and your colleagues in writing this law. It gives agencies like mine the ability to prioritize these disadvantaged communities. And now we're starting to see these things come to fruition. Absolutely. And I'm not trying to use this podcast to uh, really say that people, uh, you've got all kinds of disinformation, not misinformation, but disinformation being floated out there about what may be happening and what is not happening. Uh, and it bugs me to no end uh, when I hear people say, uh, you're taking this community for granted or that community for granted. Well, you're passing out nearly a billion dollars, yeah. as you said, just in the first year, 90%. Going to these low-income communities, rural communities, like I represent, I don't have a majority, uh, the minority district, but it's about 47% uh, African-American, which means 53%, the majority, not African-American, yet, because of the rural aspect of my community, mm -hmm. and um, the income levels in my district, you are pumping over a third, though I have only one-seventh of the state in my district, we're getting about a third of the $58 million that was appropriated. I mean, we got $58 million. It's a little over, it's over $100 million, but uh, it was appropriated. But $58 million of that is going to school districts in my congressional district. That to me is, uh, says it all. And so I want to say here once again uh, that this administration is focusing on prioritizing communities of need and communities that have been underserved. And I was great, to, uh, I was uh, pleased to see the other day, uh, about two days ago now, a story uh, about um, how this administration uh, has been focusing on rural communities. Yes. Now that takes me to uh, something I've been singing your praises here today, and I think you're deserving of it, but I'm not going to give you 100% because you're a North Carolina uh, <laughs> A&T graduate. And when I went to South Carolina State, 
our chief rival uh, was a &T. It may not be now. You may uh, be beating us in football. You've grown. I don't know. We were about the same size back when I was in school. Now you're what? Uh, about 11,000 students at uh, A&T in South Carolina State is right around uh, 3,000. But we're gaining on you. <laughs> but having said that, uh, I think that uh, I would like to emphasize a little bit the work that you're doing, making sure that HPC, uh, HBCUs uh, become partners. And um, uh, like I, would, I would like to say, building uh, institutional capacity to do work in this area. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it actually builds on where you were just leaving, Congressman, on the school bus discussion. I'd like to say that in your district, thanks to your leadership and in South Carolina, in addition to the $5 billion for yellow school buses, there's $50 billion going to water infrastructure and another $5 billion going to brownfields. That same percentage of that money, we want to go to disadvantaged communities and, and when I was in South Carolina visiting you, we know that your district and your state is receiving its fair share, if not more, because of your advocacy. Well, we're talking about historic levels of money, and our communities need universities to help in accessing those resources and thinking about research, development, and technical assistance. That's where our HBCU initiative comes into place. I've hosted chancellors and presidents and executives from HBCUs all across the country to help me think through not only how do we create a pipeline for diversifying our workforce, but how do our minority serving institutions and the HBCUs get their fair share of dollars for research and development and participation in this new economy or these economies that are advancing because of IRA and the bipartisan infrastructure law. And so as a proud HBCU graduate, uh, I have convened and I have reached out to all of our HBCUs because our HBCUs have diverse academic uh, roles that they play uh, from legal to engineering to science uh, to history. Uh, I want to be sure that all of these HBCUs have a seat at the table. Uh, and at the end of the day, I'm a proud Aggie but I equally embrace all of our HBCUs as we think about how our institutions are poised to help our communities during this historic time. Uh, very proud of HBCUs as you are. And the last thing I'll say on that point is we talk about STEM a lot. We talk about STEM uh, in education, but you and I both know and understand and love history. If we don't know our history, we're doomed to repeat many of the mistakes that we've made in the past. So I've made it a point also, our political scientists, our history majors, and other majors that normally don't have a seat at the table, have a seat at the table. So we have a robust engagement with our HBCUs. Well, thank you so much for that. And I really, really appreciate the attention you have given uh, to this. I sometimes go, I was in a discussion in a, one of the committees there on the Hill and uh, I was arguing about the level of appropriations uh, in a particular category. And, um, and one of the uh, Congress people in the room looked at me and said, well, Carmen, 
what is it that you want? And I said, I want you to be fair. Yes. And then he looked at me and says, well, what is fair? I said, more. Fair is more. Now, a lot of people looked at me strangely when I said that, but the reason I said that is because if you represent this, these historically underserved communities, and you start saying, we're giving you the same thing, we're giving this other community, that will not get it. If you're underserved and you've been underserved for 100 or 200 years, you've got to put more in these communities if you're going to ever bring them uh, up to parity. And so that's what I meant by that. Now, you know, uh, people sometimes use these terms uh, against you, but I'm not uh, ever walking away from that. Uh, we've got to really, uh, in communities where they dug ditches, uh, rather than putting in uh, to drain roads, rather than putting in paved roads, kept dirt roads, dug ditches. And then when you go in and try to pave the roads, now they're saying, and this has happened to me, well, uh, those, they, they may be ditches, but they, are, uh, they need to be protected. Uh, protected. You dug the ditch to keep from paving the road. Now I'm going to pave the road, and you tell me I got to protect the ditch. Come on, how do we deal with this? So these are the kinds of uh, uh, things that get built into the system, uh, and we have to be aware of them, as you said. You got to know the history. Yes. Why is it uh, that this is here? Uh, the history is very clear. And I really, really like the uh, attention you're giving to this. And, you know, um, I like your style. I mean, we don't wake up every morning to a, uh, some sound bite. We just look, and here comes $58 million of South Carolina. Let me get it right this time. $58 million of South Carolina for our school districts. Uh, over a third of that $58 million going to the 6th Congressional District. Why? Because it was in the 6th Congressional District where these communities have been underserved historically and in try to get parity or this, you have to put some equity into the system. You can't get parity by being dealing with equality. You got to deal with equity yes. in order for parity to ever take place. Now, I want to thank you for being this. I don't like to tax my listeners too much, but I want to save some time for you to make whatever closing uh, comments you would like to make. And once again, thank you so much for being here. Well, well thank you, uh, Whip Clyburn. Uh, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your partnership. Uh, all of these things that we are doing at EPA, uh, these new resources that we have, let me be clear, we would not have these resources, but for your steadfast partnership and leadership with the President of the United States. We now are in a position to do as you say, begin to attack these inequities, uh, begin to invest in communities that have been treated indifferently for decades. It's because of your leadership. The sixth congressional district is benefiting from your leadership, but so is the rest of the country. So I wanna take this time to say thank you for your partnership and leadership, and I look forward to continuing it. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for the great leadership you're giving to this country. 
uh, it says to me uh, that some uh, good things uh, come out of North Carolina A&T. <laughs> 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 uh, with, with Thank that, you I'll so much for being here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening once again to an episode of Clyburn Chronicles. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clyburn Chronicles. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn.